This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. On today's crew call, we have Chloe Domon, who's here to talk about her feature directorial debut, Fair Play, Netflix's steamiest movie, which they picked up at Sundance for a whopping $20 million. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Chloe Dumont, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I want to begin with, you know, I know that you went to Tish, mm-hmm. but you're an Angelino. I am. Tell yeah. me about that, because to me, I am a transplanted Vermonter to Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm always fascinated about growing up Angelino. And mm-hmm. so what did you do? What were you like? Did you direct high school plays? When did you get the film bug? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so my my parents were not in the industry, but I did, I had some friends' parents who were in the industry. And um, I think definitely growing up in LA, there is an element of like, you're, 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 you're in the middle of all the magic, you know, and, and, and it's the hub of, of, of the magic. And, um, so there was an element of being surrounded by it and, you know, driving to school and sometimes seeing, um, uh, loading trucks and people shooting and you catch a little, so there, there was an element of, I think of excitement very early on of just being in the middle of it. Um, but, um, I will say, I think my dad was the one who really, um, sparked, um, my love of cinema, my love of storytelling. Um, he, uh, I always describe my father as like a, he was kind of like a, a mad poet or, or I also described him as like a mad scientist who didn't really know any science. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he was, he was this very eccentric, um, offbeat artist and, um, and, uh, he had his hands in a lot of different art forms, photography, poetry, um, does interior design and, and, and so on. But, um, but at, I would say at the core, he, he was, he was a cinephile and, um, he showed me, um, obscenely inappropriate films at very young ages that, uh, <laughs> that no, no young girl should ever be watching, but I am grateful for, for that because it's, uh, it's, it definitely those watching those films early on just opened my eyes to, oh my God, this is, this is everything to me. And, and, um, and it spoke to me in a way that, that, that I felt, but couldn't understand yet. Um, and so I think like his, and also there were no rules in my house, I would say too. So my dad would let me stay up till two, three in the morning watching movies with him. It was just, it was, uh, it was kind of like a playground for a kid. Um, so that's where it kind of began. And, and, and then I would say I also, I started writing at a very young age, uh, poetry, one act plays, one woman shows. Um, I was involved in, in, in the theater um, uh, and yeah, the theater department at school. So I would write my own one woman shows and I would perform them. Um, and, um, and then I also started a love of photography. So the idea that I had words 
you know, on one hand, and then I had, you know, a sense for like uh, images and, and, um, and frame. Um, and then I think it just became, um, to me, it just became kind of organic. The, the cross, you know, the, the intersection between those two things was, was film for me. Um, and, um, so I really, I kind of knew by the age of like 14, 15 that I wanted to write and direct films. Um, and, uh, and, um, then looking at, you know, what are the best film schools and also where can I, where's the farthest place from home, you know, that's still, still within the United States. And that was, that was New York. What were some of the early films you saw with dad? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Clockwork Orange. Oh. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. No, great. Great. Um, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, which is uh, Mm -hmm. still one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, Network. um, That's probably my number one favorite film of all time. Um, Show me like early Altman films. that I, I, I can't even remember the title to, um, like, uh, and then, and then he showed me like great big classic films, like reds, you know, films like would, that would never, ever get made these days. Um, just these epic, you know, um, epic love stories, you know, told over time that, that were, that were so, so iconic and so classic. Um, but, um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of Kubrick, um, and, um, yeah, some, Oh, Deer Hunter. He showed me that. And I think I was like eight years old when he showed me Deer Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) So coming out of school, tell me about coming back to Los Angeles Mm -hmm. with the shorts career and then breaking into episodic directing. So I, I was, I was kind of hustling for a while in New York. Uh, I stayed in New York for a few years after school. Um, and I think every, every, every film student coming out of NYU had the exact same idea. It was, uh, let me get into the commercial game as a commercial director to make money and direct music videos and cool, you know, cool commercials for money. And then, and then, and then I'm going to, you know, make another short film that will get into Sundance and then I'll make a feature version of that short film and get that into Sundance Labs and then someone will finance my movie. And like everyone came out having the same plan. And I think that worked out for no one. <laughs> so it was uh, it was years of, of trying to do that after school and failing and um, and not making enough money. And and, there's, and the commercials that I did get were probably, you know, the lowest the lowest end um, uh, of what of what you could possibly get. Um, so I would say it was mostly, it was mostly years of just like, just like hustling and failing and struggling, um, that got me to pivot to TV, um, as, as a way initially to, to make money. Um, and, um, but I also didn't know anyone in TV because at the time that I was at, as at film school, I think House of Cars had just kind of come out. So, uh, and at the time, NYU didn't really teach you any other path than 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 the indie than the indie film way, you know. So um, when I told my friends I was going to try and pursue TV, they were a bit like, "Oh, you're selling out already!" Like that was the idea, you know. That that was kind of like the the climate of of uh, uh, or the attitude um, of you know fellow NYU people. But um, but. Uh, I, I did, and I, I was interested in it. So I, I, I um, but I only knew one person in television, and that was Julian Farino, who um, directed um, uh, a lot of Entourage, a lot of HBO shows, and and so on. And and um, I had developed a relationship with him over the years. He kind of became a mentor to me because um, we had a mutual friend in common. 
And, um, and so I just reached out to him. It was just organic that I would just reach out to him and just ask him for advice, you know, and, 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 but at some point, I think after years of, uh, of just struggling in New York, I just called him up one day and just begged him for a job. And I was like, I was like, I will do anything <laughs> for a job. Like, please, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get you coffee. I'll, I'll get your dry cleaning. Like, I'll take care of your kids, like whatever you need. But, you know, but also I'm just, you know, would you let me into your process? You know, would I be able to shadow you on a show? Like, can I just learn? Um, so I took, I took, um, I, and I became his, um, you know, his assistant and, um, and then he brought me on to, he brought me on to the show Ballers. Um, and that was really my, my break, but I will say I wasn't ever expecting to, you know, kind of rise up on that show. I think when I first kind of set out on that show, it was just to learn and understand the TV game, you know, and, and, and as the, and as the idea was like, okay, I can maybe in the future, if I pursue television, I can, I can direct one or two, you know, a couple episodes a year and then spend six months, you know, take half the year off to write, you know, the stories that I really care about. And, and, uh, and, uh, cause the goal has always been to write and direct my own films. Um, but you know, you never know. So I started out as an assistant and, and honestly, the idea at that time was just like, okay, at least I'm a paid, I have steady income as an assistant for, for four months on a show. And then I can take a month off and make a short film. And that was really all that were where my head was at at the time. But, you know, then it just became clear that there was an opportunity and, and a way up on that show. Um, thanks to Julian and, and thanks to Stephen Levinson, um, who did give me a shot and, and really believed in me. And, um, and uh, you know, from there, you know, I, they let me in the writer's room and, and I had a same episode to direct that year. Now, television. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is something... Yeah. The lessons I learned are only from Mad Men. Uh, <laughs> very fast yes. in the sense that, like I, I was once talking with Jared Harris on, on Mad Men. And I'm like, oh my God, your performances are so amazing. Do you have time to get into character? And he says, what are you talking about? Yeah. He says, we got to hit our marks. We got to, you got to come prepared. You're lucky to get a walkthrough. Yeah. He was like, same thing with ballers, I would imagine. Yeah, you you don't, I mean- it's funny because so like I'm a rehearsal freak because of my experience in television, which is you get no rehearsal time. You you meet the actors five minutes before you're shooting a scene with them. You know, it, it, yeah. It, I mean, it moves at it moves at a lightning pace. You know, which um, which is which is an adrenaline rush. You know, on some level, and I think is honestly like the way I've always seen television. The tele- television directing television it was like boot camp for me. Um, uh, it, yeah, you gotta. It teaches you. And, and, and I think one of the most great, you know, the things I'm most grateful for is that it, it taught me to think so fast and it teaches you to just come up with creative solutions, um, you know, w- within minutes because because you don't have time. And, and if you don't make your day, uh, you cost the production hundreds of thousands of dollars and then they're not going to hire you back. You know, so it, I mean, the, the, the pressure is extremely high. Um, I remember I, I shot an episode of this action show, a shooter. And I mean, it was insane. We, it was a 60 page script with insane action and stunts and special effects. And we shot that in seven days. I mean, it, it, it's nuts. It's absolutely insane. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it really, it really teaches you to just, to just, to just think really, really fast. And, um, and, um, and yeah, I think it was just incredibly invaluable, like having all those experiences leading up to my first my first feature. When did you first start cracking Fair Play? And I understand it's based on myriad relationships that were mm-hmm. where the gender dynamics were unbalanced. 
Mm-hmm. When did you first start cracking it, though? Mm-hmm. Like, was it with you for for a decade? Um, probably. I feel like it was compounding for years, and I just wasn't aware of it, you know. But it was definitely, you know, compounding, and um, I think it just became. I think it was after <laughs> being in so many relationships back to back where these kinds of shades were always present on some level. And it just got to a point, I think, um, I don't know, maybe a year before COVID hit where that that's where it really hit me, where it became, the situation became untenable for me, like as uh, I would say emotionally, this idea that, that, um, that I, you know, to, you know, at some level going, going on to set and, um, you know, going on to some of these shows, it was like this idea that there was this feeling that I was having constantly over and over again, that I would have to inflate my, my, my sense of self and, you know, almost inflate my confidence to, to, you know, to be the face of, you know, uh, and the leader on some of these, on some of these shows. And, but at the end of the day, as soon as I came back home, I would kind of have to deflate my sense of self to, to, to protect my relationships. And it was that kind of inflation and deflation that, on a daily basis that became um, just intolerable at a certain point. And it just made me realize how much hold these these ingrained power dynamics still have over us today, you know, especially in progressive cities. And I would say, you know, with progressive men, you know, and and um, and it, I think more than anything, it would just um, I was shocked at how much I had been kind of uh, playing into it, you know, and, and, um, and protecting it in some level and protecting that, that, that dynamic because I was afraid to acknowledge that, that what was, that's what was really going on. You know, I would never, ever accuse any of the men, you know, that I was with that, that, that they were threatened by me. I would never, and, you know, because they couldn't even admit to themselves that, 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 that my success on some level made them feel bad about themselves. Um, or was a poor reflection on their self-worth. Um, but it was something I'd been feeling over and over again for years. And, um, and it just got to a point that, 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 that um, I needed to talk about it because I had felt like I had been silencing myself. Um, I couldn't even talk about it. I couldn't even, it's not even something I would admit to my girlfriends because I thought, well, what would that say about me? you know, or something that I could even admit to my mother. My mother raised a strong, independent woman, you know, like I felt ashamed that I was making myself smaller in my relationships to, to protect some of these men and to protect the relationships because I love them, you know? And, um, and I think deep down it was this feeling that, that I was scared that I just couldn't have both, you know, or that a woman couldn't have both <laughs> on some level. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it got to a point where it was like, I'm, I'm done with this shit. I'm done. I'm done making myself smaller. Um, I'm done, you know, staying in relationships or, or believing that these are the relationships that I need to hold on to when they're not worth holding on to. Um, and, and I just feel like it's something that so many of us relate to, but are afraid to talk about. And, and I think that's what excited me the most is like, I'm, I'm a writer who writes my fears and I'm like, if this terrifies me and it, you know, because I'm afraid to admit that, that I'm, that I'm, you know, that it's actually happening. I'm saying this must be terrifying to other people and something that they can also relate to, but are also afraid to talk about it. So I thought like that, that's what's exciting is tapping into that. Was it a thriller from the onset to you or was it a drama? Uh, it was always a thriller. Um, because <laughs> yeah, to me it was, 
I wanted to use the genre to shine a light on an emotional terror, you know. And would you say it's noir? Um, you know, I I don't know about that, but I would, you know, I think that the film definitely has crossovers to many different genres, and you know, maybe I'm, I'm sure there's an argument that you can make, you know, that there are some crossovers to that, but uh, you know, I I think that I think that for me it was always I was never interested in, you know, I just never interested and in, I'm not interested in making films that stay within the confines of one, you know, genre or traditional genre. I just, I really feel like our jobs as new storytellers is, is to twist that to, you know, uh, uh, to service stories that we have to tell now. And for me, like the reason, I mean, I would, I've always said that this is a, this is a thriller about power dynamics between men and women. Right. But, you know, a lot of times early on, I would say I was also calling this film an emotional thriller um, because it because it's it's uh, it's using the genre to, to shine a light on, on something um, internal, you know, that I think that we we we're all we're all terrified of. And, and we're, you know, it's something that uh, I would say is a feeling that I've only ever felt watching films in the genre space. Like I can't I can't shake the feeling of, you know, those old days of coming home and fearing both the person I loved, but also the person I was becoming. Like that was a feeling I over only ever got in, you know, watching a thriller or watching a horror film. So for me, it's like that was the only medium to um, and the only way and the only lens to tell the story through. Was the first scene you wrote the scene where she gets the promotion in his reaction? Yeah. So that, yeah, that was the, that is where like the story kind of came to me where it was this idea that a woman gets promoted over her partner and her first reaction isn't excitement, it's fear. Like to me, I was like, oh, this whole thing is a movie. There is a movie within, within the, the power flip, but also her reaction to the power flip. Um, because she knows at that moment that this might cost her her relationship. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And then the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. The beginning begins in the most hardcore passionate of love. Yeah. It's like, how could these two ever separate? And then the last line in the film, mm -hmm. and I don't think I'm spoiling a lot here, I'm done with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it's like almost like watching that again, I felt like, man, you probably wanted to say that yeah. since the minute you started typing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My question is like your explosive beginning and ending. Mm -hmm. How did that come to you? Were those easy to come to? Sure. Uh, I would say the, I, the ending... I came up with the ending before I came up with the beginning. I think the beginning was the hardest was I, I think I rewrote the beginning. I don't know, 80 times I, I would say. And, and actually talking to, it's funny. I was talking to um, Brian Johnson. Cause I, I, I was asking him like, 
I'm like, man, what is the hardest part of writing? And, or like, you know, what is, you know, just talking about his writing process. And he was like 80% of, you know, write rewriting is like the first act. Like, so it, it, it gave me, <laughs> it made me feel like I wasn't alone <laughs> in my pain, you know, uh, of the process. But yeah, I would say the ending was always, it always was going to end there for me. And I would say really to talk about the ending, you have to talk about what happens in the bathroom, you know? So for me, like I said, I set out to make a thriller about power dynamics um, between men and women and do that on the ugliest level. So for me, it always had to escalate to uh, sexual assault because ultimately, uh, you know, sex, sex is, you know, sexual assault is not about sex. It, it's about power. And, and I just feel like that and when in talking about the ugliest, you know, on the ugliest level, like that, that's, that's really where the story had to go to for me. Um, and because it goes there, then for me, the ending was like, okay, well, well, then it's on Emily and, and what she, what she's going to do about it and how she's going to respond to it. And, um, and really it's about her reclaiming the power that he takes away from her in that moment. So the ending was always super clear. It was the beginning that was like, I think the the biggest challenge because it's it's knowing where it, where it goes and how ugly it gets and how crazy it gets uh, to go on this whole journey with them you have to fall in love with these characters and you have to be charmed by them and and also they have to get engaged within the first five minutes because uh, because from there you know the inciting the inciting incident of when she gets a promotion like that has to happen on a certain page so it's like I had a I had like ten you know, I had really 10, 10 minutes to, to lock the audience in to these characters, to set up their love, to, to set up that everything's great before it all goes to shit. Right. Um, and it was like, how do you do that in a way that's new and, and exciting and, and shocking and fun? And and also how do you show an engagement scene that you haven't seen before? And, and, uh, so there, there were, there were a lot of boxes for me that that's, that scene had to check to, to hook the audience, you know, and, and, and also get us to fall in love with, with not just them, but we really have to fall in love with him, Luke. Um, because if we're not charmed by him in this moment, then, then, then we don't from the beginning understand why she's with him. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think for me, the intention with the beginning was just like, get the audience to fall in love with them, but also hook them to the story in a really shocking way. And, and, and I, I love to tell stories that grab the audience by the throat within the first five minutes to say, you got to keep watching my movie. <laughs> you know? Do you ever feel when you're writing a thriller mm -hmm. that you're racing to meet certain page mark? Listen, this is a very yeah. perfect film, but I'm saying you as a writer in your writing process, do you feel like, oh my God, I'm racing to hit a certain page mark for a twist? Like one of the beautiful yeah. things you do is we get to know these characters the script gets to breathe. And at the same time, there's multiple twists. It's not just page 30, mm -hmm. page 60. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering, writing for you, was there ever pressure to, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta twist something now. I gotta twist something now. Oh, definitely. I mean, I yeah. I wanted to make a thriller that was that was just airtight. I wanted to shape this film like a bullet. Um so I, you know, everything was just, was just like about uh, creating this ballooning, right. This ballooning pressure cooker tension, but, but, um, but, but just making sure that, that everything was just like, I don't, I didn't want to give the audience 
any moment to think about their laundry, you know, that what they're going to eat in five, you know, like for dinner, like for me, it was like, okay, I want to grab the audience by the throat and I want to keep them on the edge of the seat until the very last breath, you know, and the only time that they can exhale is when she exhales, you know, like that was very intentional. The last, the last moment of the scene of the movie is, is when she lets out this breath. And that's like the first time that she can breathe, you know, uh, after everything that's happened. And that's, that was intentional. That's the first moment I wanted the audience to, to, to really breathe. Um, but, uh, so, um, yeah, I just, I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to make a film that, that, that was just, that was just really tight and, um, and, um, and just pierce through, through at every, every moment. So I was very conscious. I was even looking at like, okay, the, the no turning back point in the movie, that's when Luke for me calls her a cupcake. Like that's, that's the no turning back point. And I, and I looked to see like what page that was on. Um, and, uh, and I think that was on page 55, 55 or 58. Um, so I was, I was very conscious of that. I was like, okay, that, that feels right. Because that's, that's the first time in, in the film that, that he weaponizes his insecurity against her up until that point, you know, he's just internalizing it and you feel like, you know, things are imploding, but, but he hasn't done anything wrong at this point, you know, but that's the, that's the no turning back point. That's like, okay, now the assault begins. And that was very much like something that I was constantly looking at the page and when it would shift, I was like, uh, should I should I trim something somewhere else to keep it, you know, on that mark? Ending complete surprise for me, mm-hmm. for you as a writer, yeah. getting to something like that. I got to imagine it's in it's in the script readers, meaning like it, it, when you when the more people that read your script, mm-hmm. you know your story the most. Mm-hmm. Is there ever any concern that you know? Oh my God, this ending is predictable. Um, as more people read the script that you're like, no, it's, it's not because you're so inside the story. I mean, totally. It's funny. You're saying, you're saying something that I've been talking about quite a lot recently, which is just, uh, you, uh, you lose perspective so often throughout the process. You lose perspective during the writing process. I would say you, you don't lose perspective during the directing process. I, I think that that's actually, that was where I was like the most locked in and the most confident. Um, and the most dialed into my intention and what I was doing. And, um, but I will say you lose perspective when you're alone <laughs> in your head. So you're, you're alone in the writing phase and you're also kind of alone in the edit. You have your editor, um, but it's just you and you and your editor. And, um, and also, you know, yeah, we all know that editing is, is, is just a form of rewriting. So you're back in the writing stage, you know, but, uh, yeah, they, I think that that when you're looking at something this close, you're you're going to lose perspective and and you're going to question yourself. And I think the most important thing is 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 that I had great people around me to to remind me of my vision and remind me of my intention and remind me to trust myself and that it was there. And just because I wasn't feeling it anymore, because I was numb to certain uh, things in the movie, or you know, because I knew it through and through doesn't mean that a first watch, you know, people weren't going to feel what I intentionally wanted them to feel. But it's a hard thing because you want to feel excited about your script every time you read it. And there are some reads where you read it and you're not, you're detached because, because you're just too close to it. But I think, um, reminding yourself of, of, uh, the, you know, the, your intention and, and reminding yourself that you did feel it when you, when you wrote it or when you rewrote it or whatever, just cause you didn't, feel it the, the you know the the 500 you know time that you that you that you read it doesn't mean it's not there so here you are you're an episodic director mm-hmm. 
you've got this great script. Was it an easy segue to tell your agent, hey, can you get this around? Or was it mailed out with a couple of other scripts? The question being about your transition totally. to being an auteur now. Um, I think that, you know, my agents knew that my goal was, was to write and direct my own stories. So there was never, it was just like a question of when is the script ready? And, um, so when the script was ready, um, you know, they, they were, they were ready to go. Um, and, um, I, I'm so grateful. I, I really feel like I have the best agents in the business because, uh, I, I've heard horror stories with, with, you know, friends in the past who, you know, it took them years to get their film off the ground and, and, and you know, get financed and then financing would fall through and whatever. But my agents, like they knew who to send it to. They knew who would bite on the, on it and, and it moved really fast. So like, for example, um, uh, we, I mean, uh, they, you know, in terms of like a star thrower came on first to help me with casting and we got the film cast like within a few weeks. Um, and then once we had it cast, they sent it to MRC and MRC read it the same night that, that, um, that my agent sent it to him. Um, uh, Brian told him not to send it to anyone else. He said, I want to meet her tomorrow. So it was funny. I was directing on billions at the time and I was like, well, I'm shooting a 12 hour day. She was like, he wants to meet you when you wrap. So I shot a 12 hour day and I went, I like rushed to my condo <laughs> and, uh, and I, 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 you know, I downed, uh, uh, two, two espressos and I, and I, and I sat there just pitching my little heart out after, after a 12 hour day of shooting. And it was funny because though at a certain point during my, my, my pitch, I realized that, that, that they were actually pitching me. And it was funny. It was like, it was kind of like my body language at a certain point went from leaning forward to kind of leaning back and like being more cool. You know? This is with Ram and Ryan. Uh, yeah, this was this was a T Street and, and MRC. Yeah, and um, and uh, and it was just uh, it was just it was basically it was like I, I I realized it was like they were pitching me they were pitching themselves to me as much as I was pitching myself to them. And I thought, well, that is the sign of a great partnership already is that they were so hot on the script and they really believed in me and as a filmmaker and they really understood my vision. And basically I got off the call and five minutes later the film was financed. So it was, uh, it, I, and I know that this doesn't happen, but I will say that I, I do think that, that I killed myself on trying to hone the script, you know, and tortured myself on, on just trying to, to perfect it as much as I could to give people less of a reason to reject me. You know, that was my strategy going into this. It was like, if I, if I can make this script something that people can't refuse, then, then, you know, I have a better shot at getting this thing made. And that's how I went into writing the script. Um, and, and I feel like it worked because it wow. did get off the ground really quick, you know, really fast. Wow. And then Phoebe, I know you, you had seen her in Bridgerton. Tell me about pairing Alden and Phoebe. I mean, I know you're a fan of, of Hail Caesar, but yeah. what a great comeback for Alden yeah. after oh, yeah. everything he went through on Han Solo. Yeah. And then Phoebe, if you haven't seen Bridgerton, then you discover her in this. Yeah. yeah. Did you read them together at all? Um, we... So 
I wouldn't say it was like a test read, but or like a chemistry read. I guess you can kind of call it that, but they were already cast. I think it was more, you know, it was like a chemistry read in the sense that if it went, you know, horribly wrong that we could, you know, <laughs> figure out like, you know, what what to do from there. But they, I had cast each of them. I, I really saw it meeting with her and meeting with him. I just felt like I believe this couple. I want to watch this couple, you know, because there are some couples you believe, but you don't necessarily want to watch. I'm like, I want to watch them like love each other. And I want to watch them like tear each other apart. Like they, they just both like I had, I just had, I was thirsty for that. And, um, and then once so it was it was very much like a gut reaction that I had, you know, in, in pairing them together. And then when we got them in the room together, I, I think it, it was like fireworks from the beginning. I it, it was. Uh, yeah, there, you know, and we and we did lots of things to build up the chemistry and rehearsals, and, um, which was, I think, invaluable. But I will say chemistry, you either have it or you don't, you know, and, and they had it, I think, to the nines from the beginning. First of all, Sundance. Yeah. <laughs> The film goes, gets into Sundance. Mm-hmm. It was under the radar. Yeah. I don't think anyone was, ex- and then all of a sudden it, it hits and it, it's the hottest thing there. And it's mm-hmm. the first big $20 million deal. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. I mean, you probably were as shocked as, as, as much as we were. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> well, first of all, I love Rom and, uh, and <laughs> you know, this is why he gets paid the big bucks is because, uh, uh, there were instincts to want to, you know, uh, have people hype it, you know, or like talk about it more going into it or try and get, you know, some press early on about the film. And he said, do nothing. He goes, let people discover the movie for themselves. He goes, that is, you know, and 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 I think like that strategy just was was the best thing. So we, we did nothing before. We we didn't do any press before. We just we wanted people to to discover the film like it was a secret um, because it was. Um, but uh, I think, you know, that experience was was uh, magical, surreal, uh, it, you know, a, a total blur, I would say. I think it, it was uh, it was uh, I mean, I, yeah, I think I slept like, you know, a whole of three hours and, and four days probably. But um but uh, no, it was, it was, I would say it was funny because I actually hated the screening experience. Like while I was in there, because I was in the corner, I was in the right corner by a fan where I was like, oh, the sound is too low. Uh, I'm, I, you know, like there's this fucking fan here. Like can people, you know, I, I was like, so I, I was so paranoid about like the sound and all this stuff. So I actually, I personally hated the, 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 the watching experience, but I would say immediately, like once we got to the the opening blood, people were just like, you know, the 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 uproar of laughter and then, you know, people squirming in their seats. And then from there, um, it was just it was just amazing to hear people like audibly gasp and woo and boo. And they cheered. The whole audience cheered her when she smashes the beer bottle over his head. I mean, and then and then in the end when she says that last line, I'm done with you now, everyone started whistling. I mean, it was it was just incredible. <laughs> it was like you I mean, it, yeah, there was there was it couldn't have like had a better audience, you know, watching, you know, experience or reaction than that. Chloe Demont, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so thank much. You. It was such a pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.